0: Turn to John chapter 16. We're still in the middle of Jesus encouraging his disciples to stand firm even as he is about to die. And he's already told them that he is going away, that he will send his Holy Spirit to them. And... Now he repeats himself in in some ways, and and really John is a very repetitive book. Uh, John is hitting on the same themes over and over again as he records uh, with one goal in mind, that we would believe and that believing we would have life in his name. And so it's a tender book. It's, It's very... Simple in some ways, uh, filled with the 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 record of christ's love for his people of his kindness and tenderness to the disciples and to his followers and so now as he as he returns to this uh, as he returns to this statement that he's going to send his Spirit, um, what he's what he's doing is he is giving them not just a guarantee that this Spirit, this Holy Spirit, will come, but he explains further what will be accomplished by that Spirit through his apostles. And so this is a promise not just to the apostles that the Spirit will come, but that the Spirit will work through them. And so this promise continues to us of what the Holy Spirit will do in establishing Christ's church. (coughs) And really, the fact that we are here today, the fact that we have Christians gathering around the world today and worshiping the Lord is evidence of the truth of this promise. So please stand for the reading of God's word from John chapter 16. Fiona. Hey. Fiona, no. John chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. This is the word of the Lord. To you may be seated. Well, the beginning of this passage, I don't want to skip over entirely as we focus on the Holy Spirit. Uh, But that's where we're going to be spending our time, is in the middle portion of this passage. But at the beginning, remember, he gives a very clear statement why he's teaching them these things, that he's speaking to them so that they may may be kept from stumbling. And the stumbling that is coming, or the, the potential for stumbling, is coming because of his crucifixion, because of his death, right? So when the, when the crucifixion comes, he is concerned for his disciples that they will not be able to handle it, right? That they're going to be offended, that they're going to be, uh, they're going to be lost. They're going to stumble because of that. And so he's giving them this news ahead of time. Hey, this is going to happen. I'm telling you now so that you can be encouraged, so that you can be strengthened, so that you won't stumble and fall. But he also then warns them that there's more than just his death coming. They also will be cast out of the synagogue. Now to be cast out of the synagogue is to be excommunicated, that's what we would call it today, right? To be removed from the church by discipline of the religious leaders, right? To be cast out of the synagogue. And why would that happen? Well, there's two reasons why it may happen. Either because of our sin, we may be excommunicated and disciplined, or... Because of the sin of religious leaders, we may be excommunicated and disciplined, right? And in this case, it's the latter. The Jews are casting out the apostles. Their rejection of Jesus is what's leading them to do that. So it is their hatred of God the Father, their, their, the fact that they don't know God is what's leading them to cast out of the synagogue the apostles. And so that's an encouragement to the apostles so that when that time comes, not only will they have been through the the death and resurrection of Jesus, but they'll also have in the back of their minds the knowledge that this is coming, that there are going to be persecutions specifically by people who claim the name of God, by those who were set apart to do that work. And not only that, but that those people will even think they're offering service to God by killing followers of Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what Saul, who later became known as Paul, right, was doing he was persecuting the church thinking that he was offering service to God by doing so and so Jesus says but they're doing these things because they have not known the father or me and so he says remember these things remember that I told you of them And then you get to this, in verse 4, he says, Now, I didn't say these things to you at the beginning because I was with you. What do we see there? Well, we see that there's a progression to our learning, isn't there? And when you need to know certain things, depends on whether the person that's training you is going to be there with you or not. Right? I've trained people to... uh, to do all sorts of things. I've trained people to run sound. I've trained people to, you know, to set up chairs. I've trained people how to do some simple coding. I've I've trained all kinds of things. And I remember when I was being trained to uh, to do programming for the first time, that they would give you these instructions. I hear so. So you need to write these things out and um, and you'd have an assignment, and the assignment would be to, you know, do something really simple like make a dot show up on the screen, right? So, okay, make a dot show up on the screen and then see if you can make it run. That's your program you've got to write. And they wouldn't tell you, they wouldn't tell you all of the stuff that comes Before that, in getting a program started, they would just help you do that, help you create a project, help you create the files that were necessary and include all of the extra things that were necessary. And you didn't have the foggiest clue how to actually make a program, but you had learned enough of a concept that you could write a couple of lines inside the program to make a dot show up on the screen. But that doesn't get you anywhere if they leave and you don't have you don't know how to start in the first place right and it's the same thing here with Jesus he's saying well i didn't need to tell you guys this stuff at the beginning because i was with you but now as i go away from you you need to know that this stuff is happening and by the way you are not going to be left alone but i am sending the holy spirit and the Holy Spirit will be beneficial to you even more than having me present with you. Verse 5, Now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Well, you can only imagine. They've spent three years with him. Of course it's sad to think about him leaving. But he continues and says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now he just got done explaining that he hadn't told them everything that they were going to need to know while while he was with them until he was getting ready to leave. Then he told them the rest of what they needed to know. By the way, it's going to be hard. By the way, there's going to be persecution. By the way, the Holy Spirit is coming. All of this stuff is important for you to know before I leave. And, by the way, it's to your advantage that I go. Now, that's a, that's a strong claim. That's a strong claim. And you can imagine, if you were one of the disciples, that you would have a hard time believing that, wouldn't you? Okay, Jesus with me or Jesus not with me? Which am I going to choose? I choose Jesus with me. He heals people, casts out demons, all of these. He can, he can create food. He can calm storms. I'd have died several times in the last three years if it hadn't been from him for him, right? Jesus with me is preferable. Not to mention the loving relationship. You know, just thinking in, a, in, a, in an abstract sense of the benefits of having Jesus around. We'd all be like, yeah, yeah, I like that. And so he says, it's to, it's to your advantage that I go away. Well, that's a statement that he's going to have to back up, isn't it? <laughs> And how does he back it up? He says it's to your advantage because the helper will come to you if I go. If I don't go, the helper will not come to you. Now, this helper then has to be pretty amazing, right? To make up for the lack of Jesus being present with you. And so, what is this helper? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. And why is it so beneficial for Christ to go to send the Holy Spirit? Well, it's because when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, this is one of my favorite verses. When He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness, and judgment. It doesn't sound real positive, though, does it? Convicting the world concerning sin, righteousness, and the judgment, though, we have to see as a good thing. We have to see that as positive. This is the reason that Jesus is citing why it is actually beneficial for him to go and for the Holy Spirit to come. Do we see convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and the judgment as a worthwhile replacement for having Jesus in the flesh with us? Do you see? It's a tall order to replace Jesus in the flesh. And so he gives a reason. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and the judgment so let's dive into that because Jesus Jesus goes into further depth he explains what he means by each of those very briefly verse 9 concerning sin because they do not believe in me so what's happening here the, the Spirit will come, the Spirit will convict the world concerning sin because they don't believe in Christ. Until we understand the big picture of what's going on with convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and the judgment, it's easy to be confused about any individual uh Concerning sin, or concerning righteousness, or concerning judgment, on their own, or even the explanations, because the explanations are not what you would automatically think of when you think, okay, the Holy Spirit is going to come and convict the world concerning sin, because they're all a bunch of lying, cheating, stealing, whatever, right? Isn't that what we think? Like, you, you know, you look out into the world and the immorality, and the, and on and on and on with it, and so the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world concerning sin. but he takes it a different direction than we expect by saying concerning sin because they do not believe in me well because they do not believe in me encompasses much more than simply the natural law that is written within us written on our hearts and by the natural law I mean the basics of the Ten Commandments, right? That we know right and wrong. We know that we should not murder. We know that it's wrong to steal. We know that it's wrong to lie. We know all of these things are written on our hearts, right? And they've been called the, they've been called the natural law by various people. But he takes it a step further then all of those commands, all of those things that demonstrate to us that we are guilty, as Paul says, our our conscience is alternately defending and convicting us, right? He takes it beyond that and he says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And so what does it look like When the Holy Spirit comes and convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and the judgment? Well, it looks like the Holy Spirit turning back to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is coming. He will convict the world of sin because they have not believed in Jesus. Do you see that progression there? He says, they have not believed in me. He's talking about himself with regard to the Spirit. So the Spirit will come, convict the world concerning sin because they have not believed in Jesus. And we're going to see Jesus come back to this point several times that this is not a loss of Jesus when Jesus goes, but that the Spirit is going to accomplish things concerning Jesus after Jesus goes. He's going to convict the world concerning sin, right? Because they have not believed in Jesus. In other words, what we're seeing here is Jesus describing the power of the Holy Spirit in the work of salvation. Okay? We're seeing the work of the Spirit in salvation. Our sinful nature is what is being spoken of in verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Our sinful nature and the reigning of sin apart from Christ. So if you think about having a conversation with somebody who is not a Christian, if you think about talking to them about what it means to be a Christian the first thing that you have to get set straight is whether or not they are good or not. Right? And you can, you can do the whole comparative thing, like, well, I'm not in jail for murder, therefore I'm good. That was what uh, somebody said to me this week. You know, it was, it was a comparative good, Right? Comparing yourself to other people makes you good, makes you better than them. If you Presumably, if you pick the right people, right? But you've got to pick the right people. You've got to be careful to pick the people who are really, truly bad. But the law, that natural law of what is good and bad that's written on our hearts, right? That natural law condemns everybody the same, Right? Because everybody has broken that law. We've all lied, cheated, Stealed, murdered, hated. And ultimately, Jesus turns this all back to himself, And he's referring to the Holy Spirit, Convicting the world concerning sin, Because they have not believed in Christ. You can have people who are willing to say, Yes, I've done that. That, that is wrong. That is bad. Yes, I, I, I have lied a few times in my life, several maybe even. And that is bad, and I, sh- I shouldn't have done that. But really, all told, it's not that big of a deal. Right? In the end, what they must be convicted of before there will be belief in Jesus Christ is that the rejection of Christ himself is sin. The rejection of Christ himself is sin. It's not enough for them to say, yes, I should stop. I should stop cheating when I fill out my time card. That's wrong. Right? There needs to be a moral understanding of what is right and wrong. That is written on our hearts, but it needs to extend before we can ever become Christians, before we can ever have faith in Jesus Christ, we have to see that rejecting Him is sinful itself. Not believing in Jesus is a terrible sin and if you remember last week we saw that that emphasis on how terrible that sin is that jesus said if i had not come they would and and spoken to them if i had not come and done the deeds among them that i did they would not have sin again we're in that same theme of the necessity of believing in jesus christ being so so central to this message so central to the work that god is accomplishing through his spirit And so the very lack of belief in Christ condemns those who do not believe. It's not the only thing that condemns us, right? All of those other sins condemn us as well. But in a sense, it is the first true step to repentance. Acknowledging that we are required to believe in Christ. Acknowledging sin in yourself is one thing. Acknowledging that your refusal to put your faith in Jesus Christ is sin is something else entirely. And that's really what what often needs to be driven home with people who are not Christians. This first step the Holy Spirit will accomplish is convicting the world concerning sin because they have not believed in Christ. Do you understand? How important is that? They have not believed in Christ, and the Holy Spirit will convict them concerning sin because they because they have not believed in Christ. <laughs> So often what we want to do is we want to skip to the next part, that the Holy Spirit will convict them concerning righteousness because Jesus goes to the Father and we no longer see him. And I'll explain what that means, but we, we want to jump to that because that's the positive thing. Well, if you can ever call convicting the world about something positive, this is the one that you would call positive. All right? Convict the world concerning righteousness. But until you've made that first step, convicting the world concerning sin, what need do they have of righteousness? Over and over again, I've had conversations with people who say that Jesus is their savior. Who are convinced that, uh, really, that they are Christians, and yet they don't have anything to be saved from. They don't see the guilt that is on their hearts. In a conversation that I was having this week, I was reminded of that that necessity of of the weight of seeing that that rejecting Christ is itself sinful. At one point I, I was in a conversation with somebody where I was just thinking through the New Testament and the passages in Hebrews where the, you have these intense warnings that if God has been willing to cast aside the Jews, how much more are those who reject so great a salvation? And how does that salvation come but through Jesus Christ? Don't ever be ashamed to call people to believe in Jesus Christ and to say, rejecting Jesus Christ, rejecting the Son of God, is blasphemy. Rejecting Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, sent because of the great love of the Father for the world, how will He respond to that kind of rejection? He will damn you to hell for that rejection. Why would you say that? Because you believe that the Holy Spirit has been sent to convict the world concerning sin. Concerning sin because they have not believed in Him, in Jesus Christ but also concerning righteousness. Concerning righteousness because Jesus goes to the Father and we no longer see him. This is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, whose perfect obedience is evidenced by his resurrection and ascension. Okay. His righteousness is proven, evidenced by his resurrection and his ascension. <coughs> and those are also the proof of our ability to be made righteous and the necessity of our having his righteousness in order to be in his presence. Okay, so let's, let's back up and, and break that down a little bit further. We're talking about righteousness. We're talking about convicting the world concerning righteousness. They see now that rejecting Jesus Christ is sin that will condemn them to hell. They have become convicted, convinced concerning sin, right? Now, what do they need to hear? They need to hear that there is righteousness. That it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not their own righteousness. It's it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ who has gone to the Father. Convict the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. What does him going to the Father and us no longer seeing him have to do with righteousness? Remember I said these can be confusing if you're not if you're not getting the big picture, right? Well, the reason that that's so essential is because his resurrection and then his ascension to the Father was proof of what he claimed. And that includes not only who he was, but what he would accomplish. And he was going to accomplish Not just his own resurrection, not just his own ascension, but the uniting of his people in holiness with God the Father. Do you understand? That's what him going to the Father and not being here anymore demonstrates. It demonstrates that there is hope for us. That there will be righteousness on us. Christ's righteousness. And until you believe that Jesus Christ's righteousness can be given to you, you cannot be saved. Right? Because you cannot put your faith, you cannot put your hope in the righteousness of Jesus Christ without believing that it's possible for you to get it. And so it's essential, not just that Jesus Christ died, but also that He rose and ascended to the Father and went away from us. Because it's by His going away from us that we are convinced that we have righteousness. We also have His righteousness for ourselves. Now this is why I say that this is really the positive the, you know the positive side of of the gospel message is the righteousness side not the sin side But until we are convinced that we are sinners and we need Jesus Christ his righteousness is useless to us So first we're convinced concerning sin. Then we're convinced concerning righteousness. And then you've got this strange third. And it's not Jesus doesn't do things in threes just for the fun of it like a pastor. Like, oh, I guess I better have three points. Okay. This wasn't like, how am I going to fill out this this triad? I need a triad now. So I'm going to... I'm going to put in something else random at the end and try to make it connect. No, this is, this is essential to what the Holy Spirit will accomplish. This is essential to the message of salvation. This is essential to the Holy Spirit bringing about the salvation of the world through his apostles. He will also convict the world concerning judgment. Why? Because the ruler of this world has been judged. What in the world is that talking about? Again, it's so easy for us to assume we know what's coming. Concerning judgment, because if you don't repent, the judgment is coming, right? The 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 fire and brimstone <coughs> theme that that we all hate today, then if you just read this, this first verse concerning sin, righteousness, and the judgment, you may think, well, like, oh, well, I guess you know, there you have it. And listen, that is true. If you don't repent, there is nothing but an expectation of fire, judgment, hell, where the worm does not die and the flame is never quenched, right? But when Jesus... Talks about what the Holy Spirit is convicting people of. It's concerning judgment. And then he says, Because the ruler of this world has been judged. What? What does that have to do with anything? How has the ruler of this world been judged? You're into you're into treading deep theological waters at this point, aren't you? Has he been judged? Will he be judged? Is Jesus speaking with, you know, in the perfect tense or is he speaking in some other kind of tense? You know, you you, you start you start to wondering what's going on here. But this is a promise that's meant to establish the faith of his apostles in their work once he leaves, right? And so if it's meant to be that encouraging to them that the Holy Spirit is going to come and this is what he's going to accomplish in the world, then let's think about what that means for a second. Jesus is telling the apostles That there is going to be power with the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? There is going to be power. The ruler of this earth has been judged. Who else can judge the ruler of this earth besides God Himself? Nobody, right? Nobody, only God himself can bring about victory over the ruler of this world. Nobody but God himself can judge the ruler of this world because God himself is the one who made him ruler of this world, right? Now, you need to bear with me here, track with me. That demonstrates the power of the Holy Spirit. The fact that the ruler of this world has been judged demonstrates that the Spirit is accomplishing the will of God in opposition to the ruler of this world. Do you understand? The ruler of this world has been judged, and the Spirit is accomplishing God's will on this earth in spite of the ruler of this world. Who is the ruler of this world? He's been judged, he's been found sinful. He will be cast into the fiery pit. We are talking about the great accuser, Satan. And now all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. And so it is after the resurrection of Jesus and after his ascension that he says that the ruler of the world has been judged. And now there is power Power in a way that there has never been among the people of God until the Spirit came. And what is that power? It's the power, going back to the previous point, to live a righteous life concerning righteousness. To live a righteous life, but it also is the power of Christ's church overcoming the gates of hell. The gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's kingdom. And how does Christ's kingdom come? But by the Spirit. Christ is not a great prophet to be followed by greater prophets, like Islam says. Right? Christ has been established with all authority, and he has sent his spirit to accomplish. His will on earth. So how has the ruler of the world been judged? Well, Christ was resurrected, wasn't he? And that was the breaking of the power of hell, the power of Satan, the power of death. All of those powers are under the foot of Jesus Christ. And so when the Spirit comes, He convicts the world concerning judgment. Not just that we will be judged on that day it is appointed unto man once to die and after this comes judgment, but that you can see the church of Jesus Christ bearing fruit for His kingdom. You can see the fruit of his kingdom going forth in power. And that demonstrates the power of Christ's church against the gates of hell. It demonstrates that, that Satan has been judged. And so in the, in the context of the, the Holy Spirit bringing people into the faith, What I'm saying is that they see the fruit of the Spirit before they believe. And they are convicted, they are convinced by the Spirit as they see what? The love that we have for one another, right? Does that love strike you as powerful, Because it is. It's a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? And what does it demonstrate? It demonstrates that we have been made righteous. Right? (laughs) That evil has been judged... That we have been made righteous and that sin is being put to death. And so it is through our repentance, through our love, through our faith, through the fruit of the Spirit in our lives that people realize the ruler of this world has been judged. He's been weighed in the balance and found lacking. And this is why even the unbeliever will say that they want to spend time around Christians who are demonstrating that fruit. Why? Because they're good people. What they've seen is the fruit of the Spirit and the judgment of the ruler of this world. That all that this world offers, all that Satan offered, do you remember what the temptation of Jesus was like? He said, bow down to me and all of this will be yours. And what was he offering? He was offering all that the world has to offer right? And what does the world have to offer? Well, you can you can have drugs and you can have alcohol and you can have sex and you can have all of the things that that are going to bring you pleasure in this world. That's what that's what Satan has to offer. That's what the ruler of this world has to offer. It's what he has to offer to Jesus and it's what he has to offer to you and I and it's what he has to offer to the rest of the world. And it's and it's a promise that is false, isn't it? That you can have these things and that they will be good. But he's been judged. The ruler of this world has been judged. Because Jesus rejected that offer. And instead, he received the world back as it ought to be. With him as ruler. Him having all authority. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. And the watching world is convicted concerning this. They see what they give themselves to and they see how empty it leaves them. And then they see what Christians give themselves to and I don't understand why it works. But you're happy and I'm not. And what are they seeing? They're seeing the ruler of this world judged before their eyes and demonstrated to them being under Jesus Christ versus being under the ruler of this world. That's what we show as we live our lives. And this is why it's so important that, that Jesus is central to the work that the Spirit is accomplishing in each of these steps, he promises the Spirit. And it's not so that we can go beyond Christ's word to new revelations. Yes, the New Testament was yet to be written, right? But the New Testament didn't go beyond Christ. The New Testament revolved 100% around Christ. And there's nothing further to be revealed. You'll run into these kinds of claims among spiritual people, even those who are calling themselves Christians. They're going to attribute to the Holy Spirit things that are not of the Spirit but are things of the ruler of this world. Things of Satan. Demonic things. I heard an example this week of uh, somebody who dreamed that or had had a prophecy, had a vision that a child would be born in some country in south america that was going to reunite islam and uh and judaism and something else or other and i don't remember who i was talking to who said this somebody was telling me about this might have been one of you guys this person said that the the person who was making this claim they'd had this vision you know and they looked at the person next to them. what what does that remind you of and this the christian said antichrist Why? Because the ruler of this world will be judged. Because the Spirit points only to Jesus Christ, not to something greater to come. The greater has come. The Spirit glorifies Christ. And that's where Jesus goes after he he gives these concerning sin, righteousness, and the judgment. He says, when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. And so how can you tell whether something is of the spirit of this world or of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. And the spirit of this world glorifies anything and anyone and everything else but Christ. (coughs) If it revolves around another person, being made great, it's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit accomplishes salvation through that focusing on Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness. And the judgment. Let's pray.